Welcome to the Build the Future podcast. My name is Cameron Weesey, and I'm your host. Before we kick off today's conversation, I want to tell you a little bit about the show and what you can expect. Over the last few years, I've always come back to the ideas and the sentiment that drove American culture in the 1960s with the space race. A culture of possibility and the pursuit of a mission much greater than ourselves. A mission to do things, to quote JFK, not because they're easy, but because they are hard. I've always asked myself, why have we stopped dreaming about this future? Why have we stopped pursuing the world of tomorrow? Well, I've decided to stop asking and instead start building. To start building a future where we're all dreaming about the possibilities of tomorrow and creating plans to get there. See, if we want to overcome the challenges that are facing our world today, we must build. To drive forward innovation in frontier technologies, we must build. And when I say we, I mean you, and me, and all of our friends. Whatever the issue or opportunity, we must refuse to sit idly by while some version of the future inevitably arrives. We must step up. We must challenge the status quo, and we must build the future that we want to live in. See, that's what Build the Future is all about. It's a place for definite optimism in a world of negativity. A place that promotes the ideas of those who not only see how the world can be better, but those who have a plan to get there. We're starting with this podcast where we share the visions of the future from those who are building it. Visions that inspire you, still a sense of wonder, and get you thinking about the possibilities of tomorrow. All this with the hope that you too will decide to take action and build the future that you want to live in. So with that, I welcome you, not only to the show, but to the future and the possibilities that lie ahead. Today, we're talking with Luke Fox, the CEO of White Fox Defense. At White Fox, they're building the future of drone technology by building software and promoting legislature that will allow for the safe integration of all autonomous technologies into our everyday lives. As such, I'm excited to have Luke here with us today. Luke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Cam. Tell us about the future you're building at White Fox and what your vision looks like. Absolutely. So when we look at the future, the future is extremely exciting. And yet there's some key things that need to happen in order to create that. And so the best way that I like to think about it is if you look outside your window right now and you saw a drone hovering there, just hovering outside your window, how would you feel, Cam? I feel a little, uh, a little weirded out. Right? Strange. What are they, what are oh. they doing peeking in my bedroom? <laughs> exactly, right? So you'd feel strange, you'd feel weird, and you'd ask a fundamental question, why? Why is it there? And that is exactly the problem that we believe has to be solved in order to fully embrace drone technology. Drones have incredible potential to save lives, completely change how we live our lives, how we move, how we do infrastructure inspections, how we check to see if a a house is okay after a storm. All of these things cannot be solved until we can answer that fundamental question, why, which comes down to one word, which is trust. We need to be able to trust autonomous technology. Okay, tell me, tell me more about that. What does it mean for us to trust this technology and, and why is it important that we do so? Well, 
it's important because in order for us to embrace it, we have to first trust technology. And a lot of technology is a lot easier for us to trust because it uh, has, I, I would argue, it has a fundamental identity tied to it. And what autonomous technology lacks is identity. So for example, an airplane. If you have an airplane flying over your house, over a piece of critical infrastructure, a nuclear power plant, there isn't as huge amount of concern because there's huge barriers to entry to fly the plane, but also whoever's inside the plane is intrinsically tied. Their identity is tied to whatever that plane does. And that's what lacks with autonomous technology, whether it be drones or cars or robots. And so we have to solve for two things transparency and accountability. And by solving for those two, we create trust, which allows us to unlock the full potential that drones offer to benefit society and completely change the worlds that we live in. Yeah, no, I love it. Let's let's talk about what that potential is. So you know, drone security and autonomous vehicle security and the kind of support infrastructure there is extremely important and it's going to become increasingly more so. But most people think that if we stay on the topic of drones, that they're kind of a niche hobby thing for videographers or photographers, or they're, you know, it's the military with their their UAVs, or in some cases, people associate drones with Amazon and their, their prime delivery. But I don't think people are seeing just how widespread drone technology can be in our in our lives. What are what does that look like? What are people missing? Yeah, absolutely. And I and I would argue that people don't see the full potential of drones because the industry's been stagnated for over a decade because of this problem of lack of trust. And so people assume that well, Amazon said they were going to have these delivery drones. Why don't they have these delivery drones? Why are they years late? Well, I'll tell you, it's not because of a lack of drones. It's not because of a lack of the technology. Amazon has invested millions of dollars in years worth of resources. Same with Uber, Intel, Google all of these companies. And yet right now, who's operating the world's largest, most profitable drone delivery network is not any of those. It's the cartels. And those cartels are right now transporting millions of dollars worth of contraband over borders into prisons every single day. And do you know what drones they're using? They're using commercial drones, off-the-shelf drones, the same drones that you would buy for your little nephew or your little niece for Christmas. That exact same drone, because the technology exists today to do everything we could want it to do. And you look at that, and you look at the opportunity that that creates when you have somebody who has, where the barrier to entry is practically nothing, right? And you're able to do all of this incredible, there's this incredible potential, but lack the infrastructure the societal, the technological infrastructure to embrace that, to be able to do things such as transport organs from one hospital to another. You look at COVID, be able to transplant, uh, transport COVID tests, right? And blood samples. When you look at the hospital side, but you also you look at the infrastructure protection of being able to have security systems. Like there's incredible companies like Arion Defense and other companies that are using drones as security guards to go around the fence, which substantially reduce costs. You look at gas and uh, oil inspection, looking at gas leaking from pipes. Right now, people die every single month doing that in the United States because they're out in these rural environments, you could do that simply with the drone. So, so the barrier then is, is how do we, how do we ensure that they're they're being used safely and securely? Back to the trust thing. So, I guess that that begs the question: How are you? How are you guys at, at White Fox thinking about that? What are you doing to help us get there? Absolutely, and that's where, in order to get there, in order to really ensure they're using safely and securely, you have to solve for accountability and transparency. And so transparency is first solved 
by knowing the identity of the drone. Is that drone supposed to be there? Is it flying in my neighborhood because it's being used by a, a let's say, a realtor next door who's taking photos of this house because it's going up for rent, right? Easy. Oh, versus, oh, there's a, all these drones that are flying around and we don't know who's running them. So it's this anonymous operator problem where it could be anybody doing all sorts of nefarious things. Yes, exactly. And that is precisely it because if they're doing nefarious things and if you don't know then you're going to assume that they are and you're going to react with panic and fear and part of that panic and fear is maybe warranted until you can solve for accountability so you have transparency which is knowing who's operating it why and then accountability being able to say this person just like a car that drives up and crashes into your lawn you write down their license plate even if that's not some, a terrorist you still say it's a license. I'm going to write that down. Now I have the identity. Now I'm going to report that. And then if that car is doing something really bad, you know there's someone out there, law enforcement, who can pull that car over, do something to stop it. Right now, you can't do that with drones. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the main, some of the major problems we're, we're seeing. I think it was the, uh, you know more on this than I do, but the, the Gatwick Airport incident, right? Yes. Like what, what happened there? Absolutely. So when you look at Gatwick, Gatwick is uh, the second largest or second busiest airport in England, it was shut down right at Christmas time for days because there was somebody who thought they saw a drone. And there's still not conclusive evidence there was a drone there, but people continue to report, oh, I saw a drone, I saw a drone, I saw a drone. Over $60 million worth of damages. And that has continued at airports ever since then where people report seeing a drone they do not and because they do not have counter drone drone detection systems they can't conclusively say it's a drone and then they shut down the airport shut down the runway and it's that then creates this enhanced fear that oh no there's a drone nearby well i can tell you every single airport we've installed their equipment at to detect drones i can tell you daily there are drones flying there and as you see that you can see that those drones are flying and coexisting with the airport. And it's a matter of managing that, just like there are birds that fly near the airport. You need to properly manage all those risks and be risk informed and make those proper decisions rather than reacting in fear. Definitely. Just out of curiosity, if you can share, what, what do the numbers look like for like how many people are flying drones in and around airports? So I, I can't speak to that uh, specifically on our side, but what I can tell you is at every, um, all of our customers, they all have very sensitive uh, properties, whether it's a military base, an airport, a nuclear power plant, a prison. And what they all say is, hey, we have a drone problem. Okay, tell me about that drone problem. Well, we have a few drones a month flying near our, our prison, near our nuclear power plant. This is a big problem. And so we install a system. And it's always at least 10x what they're seeing, if not 100x what they're visually seeing. Oh, okay. So it's, it's like a, they think it's, it's a little bit of a problem, but it turns out it's a, it's a lot of a problem. They're just not, not seeing it because there's activity coming in at all hours when they don't have people just visibility. Yeah. Precisely that people, you, when people's experience of drones, it's with their, you know, their friend who owns a drone and it's loud, obnoxious, and they fly it really low. And yet when you look at the actual threat that drones are, uh, have for critical infrastructure and all these mission critical systems, these drones are flying sometimes a hundred feet or a thousand feet or 4,000 feet in the sky right? And flying at 3 a.m. There's no possibility of ever knowing that it's there unless they have detection systems. And so the problem is yet to fully be recognized with truly how prevalent drone use is in all these sensitive environments. And it's not to create fear 
I believe that the only path and the only solution is not to create fear, but to have that data to make risk-based informed decisions to then truly solve for the problem set. So it seems like there's, uh, with, when like developing technologies, everyone tries to pair it with like, they compare it like the iPhone, like, oh, there's the iPhone moment in mobile phone usage. Have we, have we had that, that iPhone moment in drones? And is it just the trust and transparency issues that are preventing it from, from being more integrated into our daily lives? Yeah. So as when we talk about that, I, I believe that we have had that we've had that moment. And in fact, even today, even in this last week in, in, in July, we have seen that moment potentially happening with the launch of Sky, of Skydios. Uh, they have an autonomous drone platform, which I believe completely is revolutionizes and gives some access to a platform that has incredible capability to perform uh, missions that previously were difficult because you had to have specialized a specialized operator to perform. Now the drone is completely autonomous and can perform those. So it's really exciting. That's also terrifying, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. And so well, in, in the sense that it's a powerful tool, just like with the iPhone, like with any technology, it's a powerful tool. And we need to be able to have the proper mechanisms in place to harness the power of that tool while preventing those who want to use it maliciously. Yeah, I was. there's a great conversation between um, Rob Reed, who's an author, and Naval Ravikant, who's an angel investor out of, out of the Valley. And they were talking about the, the existential risk of, of futuristic technologies and, and one of those risks being um, drones. And how anybody can, anybody anywhere can send these things off to go do do their bidding. They say it's the maybe the demise of like commercial air travel because even with technology like the stuff you guys are building, it's still risky for airports and major businesses to be operating. But even more so is is the the drone technology shrinks shrinks down and gets even smaller. There's this sci-fi vision from Snow Crash where you have drones that are protecting cities and following people around. Do you think about that much? Yeah, so drones definitely, when we look at, uh, and there's a couple things that go on with drones. If we look at the history of them, to, to exactly your point, and really this, I believe this applies to all uh, emerging technologies. There's two key things to look at with any emerging technology. One is accessibility and two is capability. And so when you see a spike and those increasing at substantial rates together, you have a huge amount of opportunity, very powerful, and potentially a great risk. And so with drones, they can, uh, capability. They can fly further, carry more payload, do more things. And at the same time, you have accessibility increasing. They're easier to buy, easier to fly, easier to access anonymously, zero training required. And as those increase at exponential rates, you see that power and the potential magnify. And so at specifically to drones, a couple key things is one, when we look at autonomy and how drones are becoming more and more, uh, more, and more intelligent, right? Instead of controlling a drone like you control an RC air, uh, aircraft drones instead you're suggesting hey I want you to go left and the drone says okay let me check if something's there let me see what the wet the, the weather is let me see how the wind is blowing okay I'll move a little bit to the left right so they become more and more intelligent. And then on top of that, you also increase the swarming capability, which we are really at the beginning. This is a lot to what you were, uh, you're, you were referencing there, Cam, around the swarming capability, which is this ability for drones to be able to make decisions together and in concert to distribute, break up tasks into small portions, which then means you can have a single drone that has a very specific and specialized duty, which makes it, can make it a lot smaller and a lot cheaper and disposable which is where things can get scary. Okay, so how, how far out are we from, from that? 
So there's a, a lot of groundbreaking technology in swarming, I, but a lot of the swarming technology that exists today is really, we're 10 years out from really being able to see drones that are where you can have deployed in, a, in, in an environment where they're very cost effective to deploy, where they can be given a single task or a set of tasks and they can distribute those up and then decide how they're going to carry that out. And so one of the, one of the scary things that uh, is, is, if you haven't seen the video, is where you have a drone, uh, where you have a set of five drones uh, it was sponsored by the U.S. military where they've set of five small drones and they're given a task to go inside a building. And one of them then decides, I'm going to be the one to break the glass window. Then the other four are the ones who then decide, one of them goes in, checks to make sure it's safe, and then the other then follow in and then they orchestrate inside. And it's that orchestration that really provides so much power for good but of course can then be used for malicious endeavors if it is not properly managed and if we don't have the mechanisms placed to even know when drones are operating. And that's one of the things, that if, if you're, have you seen the Black Mirror episode with the bees? I think I've seen a YouTube, YouTube. can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. So the, the fascinating thing about that is that they say, well, what happened, that Black Mirror ex explores uh, on Netflix is that when drones become so small or they look like other objects, you don't even really know they're there. And they could be doing something that you don't really realize. And the crazy thing about that episode is it's not far-fetched at all. And it's actually happening today. Again, going back to our customers who have no real, realization of the hundreds of drones that are flying near and around their facilities, flying grid-like patterns, 3D constructing these pieces of critical infrastructure without anyone knowing. It's happening today. And that's, that's why it's even more important for us to, to get ahead of of this technology and, and figure out how to keep it safe and, and stay ahead of the nefariousness. Exactly, because when you look at it right now, the people who are most leveraging the power of drones are unfortunately the bad guys. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah like you said, the, the cartels. So I, I want to drill down into that. What, what do we do? And then how is how's White Fox supporting that? I'd love to get as like detailed, specific, like into the weeds as possible. Cause I think that's, we've established that this is a problem, but it's like, okay, now what do we do? How do we make sure that we can have all the, the pros of, of drones without the risks? Yes, absolutely. And so with any technology, there's going to be risk, but you want to have those risks while getting all the benefit of it. And that's what we're lacking for the most part today. And so there's two things with that. There's the societal and the technological framework that's required. And so when we look at the societal framework, uh, that goes at its core, it's trust. We've talked about that and how you and generally how that's established. But when you get down really into the weeds of it, the societal framework is supported by a regulatory framework, a policy framework that says we recognize these drones are incredibly powerful tools and therefore we're going to allow people who want to use them responsibly and safely to do so. Like we talked about Amazon, Uber, Google, all these companies who invest millions of dollars into drones, their drones are incredibly safe and yet people are doing a thousand times more with drones that you buy at the department store. And so that is the regulatory framework opening up is required. And the regulatory framework, though, we work with Congress. We've worked to help pass multiple pieces of federal legislation to open up the industry. Some of the key components to doing so goes to the technological framework, which is exactly where White Fox is specialized in creating technology to essentially be the highway patrol of the sky. And 
that highway patrol of the sky allows you to be able to get onto the road knowing that if some idiot is driving their car completely drunk at 120 miles per hour, there is something somebody can do about it. Okay, tell me more. Absolutely. And so this highway, this highway patrol concept of the sky requires you to also be able to have a highway. And so there's other companies out there that are building platforms to be able to manage this activity that's happening in the sky so that drones can fly safely and succinctly over our heads without this great concern that they're going to crash into each other or going to crash into manned aircraft. So you can do these deconfliction activities. All of this is required for us to be able to say this is a normalized process instead of this rogue activity by state and non-state actors delivering drugs into prisons. Let's deliver medicine into hospitals. Yeah, it sounds like there are a lot of people working on this. One of the, the companies that I've seen is Zipline where they're delivering blood to remote hospitals in sub-Saharan Africa. And they're ideally, they want to be doing that. I think they want to be doing that in the States too, but just the regulation is, is so, like the, the frameworks aren't there. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely it. And so the, the problem with that is, is that our framework, our, our framework is so lagging in the United States and really around the world, but in the United States, where they treat this as if it's an aircraft. And so up until recently, just like if you've ever flown in somebody's aircraft and they had a little uh, a little checklist, a pre-flight checklist, technically you had to have these types of things on board the drone, right? So in order to really realize that this drone technology is completely different than anything that we've seen before, and it's not merely a progression of, uh, of aircraft, of manned aircraft, as they've treated uh, in, the, in the military space, and part of this goes to a fundamental problem is how we treat military drones, is they said, hey, let's take a really cool aircraft, but take the man and woman out of it and, put, and have it fly itself, right? But drones aren't that. Drones are built up from the ground saying, what if we started from scratch? And this is what companies like DJI have really done an incredible job at innovating of saying, let's start from the core and build up with this vision of a highly versatile, cost-effective and powerful platform. Yeah. So then, so then how do we approach the, the regulatory framework? Where, where are we at in that process of, of getting the policymakers and, and whoever else is involved in that to, to view drones as their own individual like lane instead of grouping them in with the military drones or whatever else. That, that's exactly, and that's, ex that's exactly the path is separating it out saying, we're not going to treat this as a military drone where you have to have a jet fly, you know, what's called a wingman, you know, mandate uh, airplane fly with it, right? That's ridiculous. And you're also not going to treat it as an airplane where a pilot is going to have to go through years of schooling, but instead make it available because the technology is available in the hands of children. So we have to accept that, embrace that, and say, how can we enable them to be able to use it safely? And then also allow skilled and trained pilots to be able to have exemptions and be able to have a clear path to be able to do things like beyond visual line of sight flights. Right now, they are extremely difficult to be able to fly beyond visual line of sight, BVLOS. And yet, you can go right now to a gas station and buy a drone that can do that can do this capability with a few hundred dollars, right? And yet legally, you only can do that if you're going to do it by breaking the law. And so we work with, uh, White Fox works with uh, federal legislators and a number of organizations such as Commercial Drone Alliance, CDA, which is making huge progress in this space to say we need to allocate spectrum, we need to allocate airspace, and we need to ensure that people on the ground feel safe when a drone's operating and that when a drone is operating 
poorly, it can be removed and we can identify those who are operating properly. And this goes to things like remote identification, which is something that White Fox has worked years on with the federal government to create essentially a digital license plate for drones so that then they can say, this is who I am. And you can say, okay, you're supposed to be here right now. If you're, for example, an airport, I'm sitting right across the street from an airport, that airport wants to be able to fly drones and yet they can't because as soon as they say, yes, you're allowed to fly a drone because we're going to inspect this, uh, this airplane before it takes off again and it's going to save us huge amounts of money and time. The problem is you fly the drone to go circle the airplane and somebody reports and says there's a drone flying at the airport and they have no idea to be able to say that's the drone that's supposed to be there. They have to treat it as a drone threat, as an unknown drone. Until you can identify friend, you have to assume foe, IFF, identify friend or foe. Wow. Okay, tell me more about this remote ID platform you guys built and this license plate. Because I would imagine it, it unlocks, yeah, exactly what, what we're talking about. The ability to identify, okay, who should be here? Who's Okay, this is an airport drone. This is a random someone trying to interfere with, with our flights drone. So we can take that thing down, right? Precisely. And, and, and so when we look at the types of pilots, you, there's four different types. And so you talked about two of them there. And so you, uh, you, there's the compliant, which is the person who's supposed to be there, and then the criminal. And those are on the opposite sides of the spectrum. But in between those two, there's the clueless and the careless. The clueless don't know that they're not supposed to be doing that. They need to be educated. And then they can decide if they're going to become compliant or careless. They know the rules, but they're going to break it. The compliant, clueless, careless criminal. And when we look at that, the ability for us to be able to say, I'll give you an example with one of our customers. So we have a customer, uh, they're a stadium. They said, hey, we have this national security threat. We called up the FBI. It's a big concern. There's a drone that continues to fly over our games every game day. And so we came out a few days before game day, installed equipment, and we saw a drone. We said, huh, I launched from uh, from, uh, the neighborhood next door. We said, huh, I wonder if that's the drone that they're concerned about. No, no, it's only happening during game day, they tell us. Okay, the next day, we see the same uh, drone launch about 5 p.m., you know, after somebody's work gets off work. And then we say, huh, we should go over there, talk to him. Well, they are able to go over there, talk to the person, realize the person flies almost every day. They only see it during game days. But now... Now they can say this person is, now they, they were clueless. Now if they fly over game day, they're careless, but we don't have to treat it as a terrorist. Now we have their phone number. We have their identity. We can go and respond to them thoughtfully. And that's what our technology, White Fox's technology allows them to do by locating the operator, being able to get a fingerprint of the drone, that identity of the drone. Ideally, drones broadcast out an identity and they're known as cooperative aircraft and they say, hey, this is who I am. Right now, we have to kind of hack that together to say we're going to fingerprint this drone to then be able to say, hey, it's the same drone that keeps coming back. It's Jim Bob. Give Jim Bob a call. He knows he's not supposed to be flying today. So then... What do we do in the cases where, where the drones aren't authorized to be there? So when you look at the drones who aren't authorized to be there, you can then respond thoughtfully. You can say, how much of a threat is this drone really to this airspace? Rather than just simply, there's a drone, we, didn't think, we don't think it's supposed to be here. We're going to, uh, and traditionally the approaches have been barrage jamming, which is to say, we're going to press the big red button and all wireless communications are going to get disrupted. Bad drones, good drones, cell phones, pacemakers, Wi-Fi, everything. Yeah, yeah, let's just EMP burst the whole city. Just done, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, problem taken care of. Or kinetic solutions, which is I'm going to launch something at this drone. I'm going to shoot a laser at it. I'm going to take a drone and go crash into it. I'm going to shoot a net gun at it, which is 
okay. It's not to say you never should do those things. We have partners who specialize in those things and I have a great amount of respect for their products. At the same time, you don't want to have that as your first line of, of uh, effort of mitigation at, in a city or at a stadium, right? The cat or at a university, right? You, so that's where we specialize. What White Fox specializes in is that surgical targeted safe mitigation, actually taking control of the individual drone that's doing something bad without affecting other drones, without affecting other communications and landing it or rerouting it back to where it's launched from or the set of drones, right? Taking down the bad while allowing the good to fly. And by doing so, you create trust and not only in an actual parlance, are you taking down the bad and allowing the good to fly, but you're allowing people to embrace drone technology and allowing more and more drones to be used for good. And, th- and then we get the world where, where your packages show up. Yes, within 30 minutes. What are, what are some of the other exciting implications of, of drone technology that, that you look forward to once we've gotten the regulatory frameworks in place and, and we can safely and securely have drones in our, in our airspace? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, t- I'll tell you a scary one. People like talk about the scary things that drone are going to do to the world. I'll tell you about re- something really scary. There's been assessments done in the United States and in many industrialized countries, but focusing on the United States, where there are a large percentage of our bridges and our infrastructure have been deemed unsafe. Every time they look, they realize that they're unsafe. But there is a huge backlog in actually doing infrastructure inspection to realize this and then to be able to go in and accurately identify where these risks are. Drones can do that. You can have in months, you can have every single bridge in the United States inspected to determine is it actually safe to operate on, to drive your car on, and then what exactly is needed to be able to repair it. The same thing exists for our power lines. You look at, for example, the, in, the fire that happened in Paradise, California, costing millions of dollars damages, dozens of lives lost. A, a drone flying that power line can inspect it thousand times faster than a human can climbing up on a ladder. Yeah, I think everyone's everyone's kind of all hung up on on robotics replacing lots of lots of jobs, but it seems like there's much more to be had in the in the drone space. What are, what else are some of, what are some of those other things that you see drones being able to to do better than um, how we're doing them today? Well, the, the really neat thing is once we have these highly accessible platforms, like I mentioned, like Skydio's uh, new platform, you can then start to ask yourself, what are we not doing at all today that now drones enable us to do? And that is a whole world of possibility. And that's what's so exciting about drones is that they are a platform for the future to be built on top of. And it allows entrepreneurs to take this platform and to build and to innovate. And I don't have those answers, but there's a lot of people I know listening to this podcast who are going to think, wow, once this technology is accessible and we can use it, we can completely change the world, not just in what we're doing and make it better, but do things that nobody thought was possible before. Yeah. But it all comes back to the work that you guys are doing at White Fox. It all comes back to trust. That's exactly it. And that is what White Fox is uniquely and surgically targeting to ensure that we can create it. And it's not just for drones. What people don't realize is this goes into all autonomous technology, all robotics. Because when we think about drones, the reason we're talking about drones is drones are the most prevalent and accessible and capable technology that exists today in the autonomous world. But let's talk about autonomous cars. Autonomous car technology has existed for decades. Do you, do you know the biggest problem with autonomous cars? What prevents them from being able to be used all over the place? Is it the, the regulation and the concern of cities for, for how they're going to handle, you know, edge cases? Yeah. 
Precisely. Right. How are they going to handle that? And the reason that that's a problem is because we have people driving cars still. And it's a heterogeneous environment. You have to solve for all these cases for stupid drivers. Well, if you, if you have a world where, or a city or a country where the only cars that are driving are autonomous and we're working with a particular country, I can't, reveal, I can't share who, uh, where that is, but that is looking to mandate that all cars have to be autonomous. Because once you have that homogeneous environment where all cars are autonomous, you can then have them communicate to each other. You can then create trusted communication between them and you can do things. One of the best examples I, I like to, when I like to think of, of the future of autonomous cars is saying there's no no need. There should be no need for stoplights, for stop signs. It's that's ridiculous. When we look at the old movies of, uh, of the cars that are going and they're all like swerving around each other, that's how it should be because they should be able to communicate to each other. They should be able to coordinate. And if one of them is lying and, and saying I'm going faster than uh, or slower than I actually am, and therefore putting everybody else at risk, you should be able to tie that back with the transparency and accountability of the cryptographically trusted identity. And that's exactly, for example, like our product Wisdom, the White Fox Integrated Secure Device Manager, that is fundamentally solving for around the world today to allow us to embrace autonomous technology in ways that have never even been conceived of before because people assume this lack of trust. But that is not, that is not the, that is the status quo, but that is not the future. The future is trust. One of the things you said that remi reminded me of kind of, I had a conversation with, with Patrick Friedman, who, who's a big proponent of charter cities. And one of the things that excites me about, about that space is the role for these new cities where they don't have pre-existing regulations and, and all that like cruft that prevents innovation and, and tests and experiments. Um, and so, so I, I'm really excited about not only autonomous vehicles rolling out, but drone technology being able to be rolled out in, in some of these cities. And then we can use, use that information and those learnings to kind of bring back to say like the U S government or States or different other entities say, Hey, here's how it can be done. Yes, that's, that's, that's precisely it. Because when you have that blank slate, right, you can then build from that blank slate rather than, again, back to the autonomous cars where the, the majority of the effort in funding in autonomous cars is figuring out how to make them work in streets filled with idiots. That The technology to be able to drive down a lane exists. It's existed for decades. And if you build a city designed around the future, around what exists today but only can be unlocked in the future because we don't have that blank slate to build on and we have all these complex processes and infrastructure that we have to build is really our downfall. So what do we do? How do we, how do we prevent that? How do, we, how do we move forward in light of that, that knowledge that we have to get our governments and our governing agencies thinking ahead and, and being able to not be held up by, by some of the legacy infrastructure. Yeah. A, a part of it is the, the community support, right? So the, is having the community recognize that this is what's possible for you. And we do not need to be afraid of drones filling our skies or autonomous cars going down the street. And uh, one of the interesting ideas, and you talked about charter communities is allowing and this is actually some work that we did with, uh, within the U.S. government where we talked about controlled choices. And so uh, instead of the federal government saying, these are the rules for drones, 
and everybody has to adopt these, to say, these are the three choices for drones. We have the default case, the conservative case, and the liberal case. And so then individual states, counties, cities, uh, tribal or territories can then decide which of those do they want because then they can say, I want the conservative case because I want to attract maybe an older generation, not to be offend, not to be ageist, or maybe a more conservative generation to our community or our city. And then others say, I want the more liberal case because there's huge economic advantage by being able to have innovative companies headquartered in my city. And so that, but instead of, and, uh, what, and the reason that this is critical is because uh, controlled choices is critical in the federal government is because the biggest fear in innovation is the patchwork quilt where you have all of you have every city community state creating their own rules and as industry we have fought against that we said look we believe in state rights and city rights all these wonderful things but you cannot have an innovative environment when you have thousands of different places with all different rules and so there's been this debate do you allow them to have their own rules or does the federal government come in and we believe the compromise is this controlled choice solution that's sweet. I had no idea that was that was in the works. Yeah, and there's and it's gaining a huge amount of traction, which is exciting because it allows for the individualized choice and for community involvement. And this is one of the things that we've seen. For example, Google has seen as they've deployed uh, their drones in Australia is that, and it's it's basic psychology, but it's allowing people to have a voice, flying the drones over um, houses and, and then delivering uh, free coffee to people and letting them get excited. But then for every one person that does that, they have 10 neighbors that hate them for doing it. And so then Google has done a great job at hosting town halls and saying, come, let us hear your complaints. Oh, your biggest concern is privacy and the noise. Okay, let's work together to solve for that. Let's put a, do a study. Actually, what is the barriers to that? And then now you have an actual allowing people to be involved, being a part of the choice, allows people to embrace and therefore trust that technology. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a community effort, right? It's can't do it all from a, from a warehouse or from an office, um, especially when now that we're, we're at the point where, where a lot of these technologies do require involvement and interaction with the broader non-tech sectors, right? Exactly. It impacts all of us. And that is what makes it so exciting. And at the same time, so scary for people. Yeah. Look, I want to, I want to kind of take a sidestep here and, and talk about how, how you got so excited and so interested in this space. Can you tell me the story of, of how you landed on this being the thing that you wanted to, you wanted to work on? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, so right now we're focused on drone airspace security and autonomous vehicle enabling, right? All the things we've been talking about. But going back, I actually started, I made, started making drones. And I was working in California on uh, this research and trees using drones to be able to do that. And so we started making drones and we thought, wow, these drones that we're making could change the world. They could be humanitarian aid, nonprofits, all these wonderful, amazing things that they could do. And then we, so we started making them and started to sell them. And it turns out that the majority of the interest was coming from people who had likely had malicious intentions or reckless intentions. And so that's where we recognized that 
I don't want to sell essentially a guided missile to a terrorist group. Right. <laughs> One, right. <laughs> right. That's generally wasn't on my bucket list. But two, as soon as we say no to them, they're going to go to somewhere else and find a way to do that. And this technology is only going to become more capable and accessible. And as it does so, more and more people are going to get their hands on it, use it maliciously and recklessly. And not only is that a bad thing of a drone being used to drop explosives on someone, but also I foresaw, and as a team, we, saw, we looked at this and said, people are going to hate drones. As soon as one of these drones shuts down an airport or crashes into an airplane accidentally or purposefully, then that is what will stagnate the industry. You go back, that was about, at this point, about seven, over seven years ago that we said that, and we got laughed out of every single meeting from law enforcement to regulators, everybody saying drones are toys. And we said, no, drones are not toys. Drones are the future. Drones are growing in the capability, growing in accessibility at exponential rates, and you have no idea of what is possible and what will happen year after year. And unless we can get a handle on this and can provide that trust, that accountability and transparency, we will be left in a world where drones are only used by hobbyists and idiots and criminals. And so the, there is, and that is not to devalue the amazing things. We work with incredible, uh, many companies who are really doing great things to change in the world and make the world a better place with drones. That is not to devalue that. But I will tell you, if you ask any one of those companies how much more they could be doing if the framework, the societal and technological framework existed, they would say magnitudes more. What they're doing now is such a small, tiny fraction of the potential that's out there once we can solve for trust. So how, how can the listener or, or other people who are interested in pushing this future forward, how can they get involved? How can they support? How do we make this happen? Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great question. One is, is buying a drone. I don't sell drones, so I have no bias in doing that. But buying a drone, flying a drone, becoming familiar with that technology, reading about autonomous technology and thinking about what are ways that I can use. It, I mean, it is a green field. There's a blue ocean out there. Like think about those ways and start talking about, think about it with your friends and start a business. Invest $1,000 in buying a few drones and think about how can I do this? Obviously do it thoughtfully, go through the proper requirements of the United States and all those different things, but realize that there's a huge amount of potential and the more people that we have driving forward and saying these, we have this incredible platform that exists today and yet and applying it to real use cases, that is what is going to help push the industry forward. And then also talk and getting involved in uh, lobbying organs, like talk to, like look at the Consumer Technology Association, which puts on CES. Uh, AUVSI is a great organization. CDA, getting involved, reading these updates and thinking, oh my, and you'll realize, oh my gosh, the, the there is so much potential out there and we're so far behind where we could be and we need more innovators pushing that forward and thinking about this thoughtfully, how we can actually move the industry forward rather than an individual an individual's cause. Think about the, the ecosystem of the autonomous world that lays before us and is so close to being fully grasped. It seems like we're right on the precipice. It's like, it's so, it's, it's like right over there. Like we can see it, but we're, we're not quite there yet. So getting more people involved seems to be a good, good first step. I'm curious, are there, is there anything that I, that you think is important for people to know about, about the drone or, or autonomous space that, that I didn't ask? 
you know, it, it, you, we really hit on a lot of the core points there that we really want to make sure that people see is that when you see a drone, when you see a, a robot, right, going down the street, think about ways that we can then embrace that technology and not fear it. And it's the ghost of the language that we use. I mean, even I'm, a, I see a drone flying outside my bedroom window. I'm concerned, right? But, but saying, what are ways that we can do to embrace this technology, not just drone, not just autonomous technology, but all technology and ensure that it's being used properly and ensuring that people aren't abusing the privilege of this incredibly powerful technology. Right now, you could buy, go buy a drone and within minutes of parking your car, launch it thousands of feet in the air with zero training. But that doesn't mean you should. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because the skies have been democratized does not mean that everybody deserves to be able to do whatever they want in them. Because that will only continue to hold us back as an industry and hold us back as a world. Yeah, if we kind of get on, we all kind of need to get on the same page about how we're going to use this technology and, and what we should do about it and what the, what the pros and cons are. As we wrap up here, I have a couple of like rapid fire questions for you. Outside of the drone space, what what excites you about the future? Who, baby? Uh, <laughs> very, very broad question. Yes. Uh, what excites me about the future is a number of things, but it really comes down to people being able to to be able to focus and and I think this goes back to autonomous technology and uh, automation. People are say, oh, it's it's so scary, and they're concerned about it losing jobs. But really, what I think it allows us to do is specialize as a species, allow us to be able to focus on what each of us are individually capable of doing. When I think of, for example, people I know who work in warehouses, right? Like these, uh, and I think there's so much potential loss there and their jobs could and should be replaced by robots so that they could focus on how they can bring value to the world and fulfill their passion. Because while we have all of these tasks that need to be performed by humans, we're not going to be able to fully grasp the full potential of humans. What, where do we see, where do you see people shifting though? Like some of these jobs that that we can or we can kind of enable people to do other things. Isn't this the argument for like universal basic income? Well, that's my answer. Oh, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. right. So allowing people to be—that's exactly that, right? Allowing people to be able to pursue their passions and to be able to do so in a sustainable way, so that they can focus on doing what's right rather than what's going to allow them to survive, allowing them to thrive rather than being able to focus on how do I make it to my next day. If we meet up a year from now with a bottle of champagne, what are we celebrating for White Fox? That's a great question. Well, we are continuing to expand into more countries. And the more countries we expand into, and especially our work with uh, one particular country, which I, I hinted at, which is truly doing, uh, looking at taking this problem set of this, of this complicated world we live in and starting from scratch and building up a society and an, and an arena to be able to deploy these technologies, you're going to see uh, more and more of this taking place and you're going to see White Fox helping to lead the way and working with a number, just incredible other companies to truly create trust in everything that we do, whether it be drones, but also in autonomous vehicles, in robotics, in all these technologies we need and we want in our lives, but we first have to solve for that fundamental problem. Lastly, what influenced your thinking the most in in this space, right? You're heavily involved in bringing about this future of of trust in autonomous vehicles and drones. What what books, movies, experiences, etc., conversations shaped shaped your thinking most? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think I attribute a lot of it to my previous professor, Dr. Zachary Peterson, who now uh, is vehicle security at White Fox, but uh, previously he was my professor and he taught this class on adversarial thinking and the adversarial mindset. And I think it really captures what uh, what allows us to be able to innovate, which is thinking about how, not how are things, how should things work, but let's think about the way that they can be used poorly. Let's think about the ways they can be broken. Let's think about the way the world could be corrupted and then respond proactively to that. And that is why I believe White Fox is a pioneer in leading the way in this arena because we were able to get ahead of the problem before we had to respond reactively, which is where you see things like, you know, drones being blasted out of the sky, which again, isn't necessarily uh, the the worst thing, but you still need an effective, thoughtful, proactive approach. And you can see that across every single industry, when you have the adversarial mindset, you can think about how are things going to break? How is somebody going to do something wrong, do something stupid? And how can I enable the world to be better, safer, more efficient, and more productive? Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Build the Future podcast. All of the links and things we discussed in this episode can be found in the show notes at buildthefuturepodcast.com. On the website, you can also sign up for our new episode announcements and our weekly newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would send it to just one friend that you think would benefit from thinking about the possibilities of tomorrow. See, the best way for us to build the future together is to spread this idea of definite optimism to start talking about the future we want to build and then creating concrete plans to get there. So if you're thinking about building, want to get support, or simply want to hear about specific topics, ideas, or from certain people, shoot us an email at hello at buildthefuturepodcast.com and we'll see what we can make happen. Thanks so much for listening. And that's it from us. Until next time, go build.